I'm Andrew Beer, EGM of WFI, and welcome to Good People to Know, a podcast discussing issues that affect regional Australia and the agricultural industry. In today's episode, I'm talking with Fiona Simpson, President of the National Farmers Federation. As many of our listeners will know, the agricultural industry is an exciting place to be at the moment. Advances in technology and favourable weather conditions have led to much optimism in the sector. To discuss this in more detail, I spoke with Fiona about the National Farmers Federation's 2030 Roadmap. It was a delight to chat with Fiona, so much so that our conversation will be released in two parts. In this first part, we talk about the future of the Australian agricultural industry and the National Farmers Federation's target of achieving $100 billion in farm gate output by 2030. Welcome, Fiona, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's, um, it's a good day to have a chat, I reckon. And I reckon with everything that's gone on the last two years and the, the strange sort of world we've, we've encountered, the last time I saw you was probably at the Global Food Forum in Sydney, way back in 2019. So what we're used to interacting and being out there and about a lot of events, it's uh, um, hopefully we can do it again once we get through this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gosh, the time seems to in some ways sort of flown so quickly, doesn't it? And then in other ways, um, we sort of seem to have been getting through all this and it's taken us a little while, but certainly now the end seems to be in sight. So that's it, that's exciting too. Ho- hopefully it? it is. Hopefully it is. So Fiona, as we as we get started, um, I'd like to understand a bit more about your work with the NFF and, and yourself. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your personal history and a little bit about your farm? Yeah, sure. And I'm happy to be here on there today in the Liverpool Plains, which is beautiful uh, Gomleroy country. It's a family farm and um, one of the upsides of COVID for me is that I swapped getting on a plane uh, most weeks and lots of days and travelling a lot to being based here on the farm um, where my husband and I have been running it firstly with his his father and, and, um, and stepmother and then now we're in the process of um, successioning through to, to my son and his wife um, and two grandchildren. So it's a mixed farm, it's it's grazing and it's cropping and we have changed just since the, the terrible drought that we've all come through over the last couple of years from a, a, a pole Hereford breeding operation um, to being a little bit more agile. I think we're, we're all recognising now the ability that the ability to change enterprises and to move with the weather conditions and to, to de-stock or restock accordingly is really valuable um, in this really erratic weather um, that we're now having as part of climate change. And so we've actually not breeding any more. We've gone into a cattle trading operation instead, um, which is allowing us to be much more agile. It's allowing us to, to manage our um, our environment here, whether we're talking about our cropping land or our grazing pastures, much better. And um, it's it's as I say, it's a nice it's a nice place to be spending some time here on the Liverpool Plains. What led you to, to sort of take on the advocacy work with the National Farmers Federation? Was there a particular moment that sort of uh, uh, you know, resonated with you that made you want to take this on board? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. So um, my career started, well, my most recent career started, I guess, just through getting involved here in our local area and some passions that I then developed. So the community here, really great agricultural area, um, had some some mining licences put over um, some land over near Karuna. And our community felt that agriculture wasn't being looked after, agriculture wasn't being considered, agriculture wasn't part of the process. And I got really engaged 
engaged and involved in in that community group. We we didn't have a particular view about you know coming at it from an anti mining perspective or anything, but we did um, have a view about agriculture and agriculture needing a strong future. And in this area, lots of family farms, generational farms, who saw themselves as having a strong future, uh, a strong sustainable future. And so the more I got involved in it, the more I realised the value of good policy and good advocacy. And so I started, um, you know, putting my hand up for local government and New South Wales farmers, our state farming body here, and making sure that, that they were aware of what was happening and putting through, you know, good policy and talking to government about the need for, for um, you know, genuine consultation and good planning and sustainable resources and all of those different things. And then once I got a little bit on that road and got engaged and involved, then I did get really fascinated about the development of policy and um, how, how it evolves and, and advocacy and farmers' voices and planning your future and the need for farmers to be proactive and the need for more farmers to step up and be proactive about helping design policies that are really going to set, set up where we want to be in the future. For those who don't know, can you just give us a little bit of an insight into the National Farmers' Federation? Yeah, sure. Um, the National Farmers Federation is the largest agriculture representative voice in Australia, and um, we represent farmers predominantly, but in a federated model. So a little bit like um, our wonderful federation here in Australia, um, where the our members are actually the bodies that represent farmers, not the farmers themselves. So our members are the state farming organisations and the commodity groups. And whilst I've been in the role since 2016, um, we've very much had a focus about bringing people to the table. So over 40 years ago, NFF was started by nine organisations um, who all saw the value of a united voice when it comes to national issues. And so thinking about national issues, you're thinking about things like environment, um, trade, uh, labour, uh, any of those sorts of things are predominantly national issues. And so uh, in those days, it was nine organisations. We've expanded that now to be about 37 organisations um, who, who all represent farmers. Um, and also we, we work with a range of partners um, like WFI too, um, in terms of you know, really trying to promote our policies and talk about agriculture and make sure that our messages are getting through to the community. So, Fiona, a couple of years ago, um, the National Farmers Federation put out its Towards 2030 plan. Um, you know, Australian agriculture is a major uh, contributor to the economy with a forecast to reach $73 billion in production this year. Under your leadership and the, the NFF's ambitious plan uh, of $100 billion in farm gate output by 2030, why such an ambitious target and are we on track? Back in 2018, when we set the target, we were on about $60 billion worth of farm gate value. Um, now, as you say, we're forecast to make 70, 72, 73 billion, but there's still quite a significant gap um, in the next few years to get what to $100 billion. And we, we really wanted to get in, in front of, of the community. We really wanted to be building our own future and building our own roadmap and having input by, by producers and by stakeholders as to how they thought we were going to get there. We didn't want to be on the receiving end of government policy or government telling us where we had to go or what we had to do or on the receiving end of, 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 of what other people thought. We wanted to take control of our future ourselves and so we wanted to chart a strong path. We wanted to be ambitious. A lot of people said at the time, wow, $100 billion 
dollars, you're never going to get there. Um, whereas now people are saying, I was just in Wagga Wagga last week talking um, about connectivity and digital connectivity, and we know that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And some of those people were saying, oh no, a hundred billion, you're going to, you know, you're going to walk, you walk past that figure. It'll be way more than a hundred billion dollars worth of value. So we wanted to be ambitious. We wanted it to have enough. Um, key measurables and targets and, and um, uh, outcomes in there that we could really strive for underneath, underneath that. Um, and it's really been um, the reason that we've been able to be so targeted in some of the policies that we've been pursuing in recent times because of this overlying and overarching strategy that we're all shooting for. I think if you, if, whenever you need to put a plan out, I think you know putting the... Uh, Putting making it quite ambitious is, is important because it, it really uh, gets the creative juices flowing. I suppose it makes people think think long and hard about well, how are we going to achieve that? So, and the plan does involve all, all parts of the agricultural sector, doesn't it? It's not not only one, it's not only grains or, or livestock or you know, it, it, it's all parts. It's water management, it's trade and exports. So it, it's the entire sector, isn't it? It's the entire sector. And, you know, the exciting thing is at the moment, Andrew, I reckon, is that there is so much absolute sort of opportunity around agriculture and a really great vibe um, about it. And I think people are looking at that plan and seeing, as you say, there's things like, you know, technology, there's things like data and there's things like water and there's, you know, um, capital and people. And there's a lot of excitement about our industry at the moment, but it's not about just one sector. It is about getting all these different you know foundational elements there's five foundational elements in the plan we have to get all of it humming if we're actually going to achieve 100 billion dollars and it's not just about the money it is about the value and value of course is much more intrinsic than just dollars dollars are important don't get me wrong we're all business people we're all running businesses um but it's much more, um, much more than that headline. If we're actually going to achieve and realise that that high headline figure at the end in 2030, and of course being able to build it as we go along, and some of our targets already, like our climate change target, we've actually adjusted that now already because we've put in place a 2050 um, target instead. So it's really adaptive. Um, it wasn't designed. It is a it is a nice looking document to read, but it's wasn't designed to just be a nice looking document to read that just sits on the table and you know we did it in 2018. It is a Living document. Every year we check in and we see how we're travelling. We see how each part of the sector is travelling, how we're travelling in accordance with the five foundational, you know, parts of it, and give ourselves a mark. And sometimes it's a bit of a yeah, you've done okay. Sometimes it's a bit of a try harder. Um, and um, we yeah, we we keep checking in every year to make sure that we're on track and. You know, I think some of it is a little bit of luck when it comes to global markets and, um, and the, you know, those sorts of things. But then there's a whole lot of good management as well that, that Australian farmers are so good at. And by having this roadmap in place, then it certainly gives us a guide as to the sort of things that we need to achieve if we're going to be $100 billion worth of value in 2030. If you remember my last episode, um, I spoke to our meteorology specialist here at IAG, Dr Bruce Buckley, who incidentally is... Well, it was one of the, the keynote speakers at the NFF's convention, which uh, unfortunately had to be, be postponed, but uh, I know Bruce is going to be talking there. Just about the, the risk climate changes poses, poses to regional Australia and to the agricultural industry. Um, in the second pillar of the 2030 roadmap is on growing sustainably. 
What do you see as both the risk of, of climate change and also the opportunities presented by efforts to reduce emissions? Yeah, farmers are right at the forefront of dealing with climate change. Um, we are on the farms, on the land, managing the landscape every day. That's what we do. And so, of course, when climate is changing and when we have the erratic changes in climate that we have now, then it poses huge challenges to us as farmers. And obviously it helps us if we can manage and, you know, if we can do whatever we can do to actually help manage through some of those wild swings in climate to plan for a more sustainable and a more level production, I guess, as we go through to maintain through the swings and roundabouts of climate. We think that on farms, we are managing this, this carbon cycle um, and we have been for many generations where you know we do make have emissions, but if we can control those, lower those and, and store more carbon in the ground, then we have enormous potential here on farms. And, 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 and then, of course, it's a good thing in terms of keeping that, that change in temperature down. So we're really interested in, in us being part of the solutions, us being um, part of, 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 of what we can do on farm, but we have to get some of the technology and science and data uh, right, and we don't have enough of that yet. Fiona, with climate change a major risk to our industry, at IAG we recently launched our second Climate Action and Disaster Resilience Plan. I know the NFF also actively support primary producers who have a climate action plan in place. And you sort of touched on it a moment ago, but are there any specific examples of where farms are doing exciting things on the sustainability front? So I'll just pick a couple. I mean, our piggeries uh, have a 2025 net zero target. And the reason that they actually have that really ambitious target and realistic target is that now so many of those intensive um, animal piggeries are actually capturing all their methane and using that methane to power their enterprise for their power. So, you know, that's an incredibly exciting thing. And when you think of the, the, the emissions that are not going into the atmosphere, but also how they're being used, I mean, that's amazing. Um, a lot of work going on in soil carbon now. We still have a lot of gaps in our knowledge, but even here on my farm, you know, we're exper experimenting with things like multi-species cropping where we actually plant a range of, of crops, a, a range of plants on soil instead of leaving the soil, you know, bare or just with the, the, the previous crop. The, we've taken the no-till cropping, which is a sustainability um, tool, to another level. And we're really looking at taking more, trying to, trying to absolutely maximise the carbon we're pulling out of the atmosphere and storing it deep through some of our deep-rooted plants in that ground um, to, to lower our emissions and maximise the carbon in the soils. There's some amazing technological changes now when it comes to things like um, renewable energy and some great examples of um, hybrid diesel pumps um, that power you know, quite big irrigation enterprises where uh, they, they use the power of the sun during the day and then therefore they hardly use any diesel at all because it's all being run during the day during the sunlight hours um, when the sun's out. Um, there's a fascinating uh, horticultural enterprise down in Port Augusta that is totally renewable energy powered by the sun and, um, and desalinating seawater. So really, um, you know, great on the environment and the use of water there as well. So I think, you know, across 
Across the network now, there's things like um, if we're looking at cattle, grazing cattle, um, some amazing work going on with a plant called asparagopsis, which is a seaweed that's grown off Tasmania, um, which is going to help allow cattle to lower emissions. So when you look at all these tools, I think they're, they're great for our climate and they're great for our um, our carbon neutral goals, but also as an industry, it makes us more sustainable if we can actually um, look at, at the diverse income streams and also, I guess, preserving the moisture in our soils, preserving the carbon in our soils, preserving the, the biodiversity on top of the soils. All of those things help us run a more sustainable enterprise and, and withstand some of the, the climatic shocks that you can get through um, running a farm in Australia. You, you just sort of spoke there is, is highlights how sustainability and technology is almost interlinked. Um, you know, we want sustainability and it's driving tech, new technologies, helping to drive and support it. And you mentioned the uh, the plant out of Port Augusta. I think they're growing tomatoes using desalinated seawater. And you know, when when you think what is possible now and what and what's actually being achieved already, and what's in the pipeline, I suppose, and what some of the some of the creative minds that are that are considering these sort of problems. Um, the whole issue of ag tech and, and embracing digital technology in the farming sector is also quite significant. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and so if I focus on that that headline figure again for a minute, um, you know, we know from work that the Combined Research and Development Corporations did a couple of years ago that unlocking the value of digital connectivity on farm and digital technology on farm, they estimate to be somewhere in the vicinity of 15 to 20 billion. Now that's phenomenal. And if you think of that gap again, that we've got, if we have 73 now and we've got to get to 100 by 2030, you know, and you think of 15 to 20, that's a massive contributor to that. So on farms right now, we've got lots of different bits of technology. You know, in our headers, for example, the machines that harvest our crops, we're collecting data all the time. We're collecting data about the soil that we're planting in, about the crops, about the previous crop history of that of that paddock. We know exactly we can now, we don't just put out fertiliser because you, you put out fertiliser. You know exactly where you're going to target that fertiliser because you know that you've got the yield mapping and you know you've got your moisture probes and you know you've got all those different things. We don't just start up our irrigator anymore to start up our irrigator because you have to run it once or twice a day. You start it up because you know that the soil actually needs that water and you know exactly to the millimetre, um, to the milliliter, how much water you're going to apply. Likewise, nutrition on plants, you know, you have sensors now on your plants um, where you can actually really look at the nutrition that that plant's drawing out and, and what it needs and if you need to apply something else on top of that. So we're getting much more scientific about how we actually make decisions on farms and that's one of the reasons that you know I we think climate change and, and sustainability and technology it all goes hand in hand. It's also exciting because Back in the day, you know, my family's been on this farm for over 90 years. Back in the day, we changed enterprises and we made big business decisions with very little data. Now, we have amazing data. And if we can just get the last piece of the puzzle right, which is, you know, affordable, reliable connectivity over all our farms, which are often in that little sector of Australia that's not covered by wide wide um, connectivity, then if we can get that, you know, connectivity so people can actually get that information and, and receive that information and utilise that information in real time and also sort out the, the who owns the data puzzle, which NFF's also involved in, 
then um, I think, you know, we are absolutely on a winner and it's game-changing. You know, if you think about all the things that are going to have to change to get to that 100 billion, it's not just doing the same things as we've always done. It's not just growing more crops. There is no more farming land we can unlock. Um, you can, you know, it's, it's, it's very much about how can we do it smarter and better and create more value. And that's technology is part of, a big part of the piece of the puzzle. For more information on the National Farmers Federation 2030 Roadmap, head to nff.org.au.